a lost cause celebre. Oh, and I'm probably mispronouncing that word. It's it's the French pronunciation, I think. Celebre. Um, we are now on page 239, and we are in The Lady in Gold, The Extraordinary Tale of Gustav Klimt's Masterpiece, Portrait of Adele Blockbar, Anne-Marie O'Connor, closing in on the end of the book. A Lost Cause Celebre. In the fall of 2001, there was a column in, United, in the Los Angeles Times community section, the West Side Weekly, by the columnist Robert Shear. Oh my gosh, I know him. He's not, in, he's not alive anymore. By the columnist Robert Shear about an elderly woman trying to recover a painting of her aunt the Nazis had stolen from her family. One often heard these stories in Los Angeles. A family painting seized by Nazis on display at a European museum. This case probably had the proverbial chance of a snowball in hell. I looked closer. That painting? I still recall the first time I saw a reproduction in my early teens at a show of Germanic artists at the St. Louis Art Museum. I was now a reporter at the Los Angeles Times. The plaintiff, an 85-year-old woman named Maria Altman, lived nearby at Cheviot Hills. Her number was listed. I dialed it, and an elderly lady with an old-world accent answered. Of course, my darling, she said. Come over at once. An elegant woman in a cream-knit pantsuit opened the door. Hello, my love, Maria said warmly. Can you wait just a moment while I finish with my client? Still working at her age? But yes, her client, a stylish older woman in a flattering navy blue blazer, was regarding herself with pleasure in a three-way mirror in the living room. Maria presided over the fitting with the gracious ceremonial air of a diplomat. With its orange sofa and tattered shag carpet, the place appeared to have been decorated in the 70s or the 50s. On the mantel was a large antique gilt clock with a cherub perched on it. A wall case held tiny pocket watches. One was shaped like a miniature skull with diamonds for eyes, macabre. Now all I, now I am all yours, my darling, Maria said cheerfully, taking a seat by a framed reproduction of the Clint portrait of a woman surrounded by gold. My Aunt Adele, she said, regarding the portrait thoughtfully. She and my mother were so different. My mother had teas for a lot of ladies who would not have been in that, who would not have interested Adele at all. Adele wanted to go to the university. She wanted an intellectual job, but it was not done when she was a girl. Maria's voice rose and fell in a pleasant musical cadence as she spoke. She smiled. I was a timid little girl next to her, Maria said. She seemed arrogant and not interested in a child. She blossomed when she was with people who, who were learned. All Adele cared about was knowledge, learning, improving your mind. She always smoked, which was not done at that time. She seemed elegant and cold, but apparently Klimt saw a different woman. Maria explained the twists and turns of the painting's history, 
composers, Austrian artists and playwrights, famous Nazis. It sounded like something out of The Sound of Music. Maria's eyebrows rose with disdain. They say now Austria was a victim of the Nazis, Maria said scornfully. Believe me, there were no victims. The women were throwing flowers. The church bells were ringing. They welcomed them with open arms. They were jubilant. The case faced huge obstacles, not least of them Maria's age. The Austrians, quote, delay, 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 hoping I will die, end quote, Maria was saying. But I will do them the pleasure of staying alive, she smiled conspiratorially, as if she knew something the Austrians didn't. But what legal Houdini could overcome sovereignty, long dead witnesses, evidence destroyed by Nazis? Randy is representing me, Maria said proudly. I've known him since he was in diapers. Randy? Randy's like a grandson to me, Maria said firmly. His grandmother, Trudy, the wife of the composer Eric Zeisel, was my best friend. His mother, Mer Barbara Zeisel of Schoenberg, grew up with my children. The next day I was in Randall Schoenberg's tiny legal atelier on Bundy and Wilshire. I, I didn't see a secretary or a receptionist. Finally, a guy appeared who looked like he had just graduated from college. This was Randy. His desk floated in a sea of books, stacked on the floor, crammed into the bookshelves, piled on his blotter. He cleared books off a chair so I could sit down. Randall didn't explain the case so much as rant about it. The Nazi lawyer, Nazi art historians, Nazi museum directors. He flung Nazi around rather liberally. Were all these Austrians Nazis? Framed by the Santa Monica Mountains, Randall spread out a century of photographs as if he were introducing the cast of a Russian novel. Here was Maria at the opera ball. Here was Fernandot standing regally over a downed stag with a huge rack of antlers at his Czech castle. And Gustav Uchiki, the crazy Nazi propagandist in Son of Klimt. His, my head swam. Was all this stuff in the lawsuit? A FedEx man arrived. Randall signed for the package. Did the guy have any staff? The delivery was the Austrian appeal. It was the size of a phone book. It's all about jurisdiction, Randall said, flipping through it dismissively. How sad. If cases like this could be won on lot or lost on a petty sounding on petty sounding technicalities, he didn't want to hear it. Alone in his office, 20 stories above Los Angeles, Randy was convinced he was absolutely right. He had met few people in my life. I had met few people in my life so certain of this. The next piece is diplomacy. A few weeks later, I was at a crowded diplomatic cocktail party when the new Austrian consul, Peter Lomsky Tiffenthal, arrived. Hello, Maggie. Here's, he's here to save the gold, a popular European consul whispered. I stared blankly. The Nazi gold, the consul hissed loudly. To the dismay of Austria, the Klimt case was becoming a cause célèbre, a romantic story winding his way through around Los Angeles living rooms and cocktail parties. 
Austria had its own attorney, Scott Cooper, from a major national law firm, Pro Proskauer Rose, or Proskauer Rose. Hmm. But it was hard for a hired gun to possess the cachet of the grandson of an exiled composer. The Austrian ambassador to the United States, Peter Moser, flew in from Washington. Moser was a portly man with a warm smile and a red-faced heartiness that made it easy to picture him tucking into, sausage, into a sausage and a mug of beer in the Vienna woods. We were in more banal digs, a Los Angeles Times dining room having tired roast beef. <laughs> the Jewish residents brought lots of art and architecture to Vienna and played a role in elevating it as, it as a cultural capital, Moser was saying in the Austrian accent popularized by his compatriot Arnold Schwarzenegger. After the war, our government did not have to urge to invite these people back, he conceded de delicately. The deep wounds and humiliation of this group of collectors, the Jews, the society has neglected largely, Moser said in an emphatic tone. The emotional wound has never been addressed properly. I realize restitution must take place before wounds can be healed. We focused an ex on expanding pensions to deported Holocaust survivors. But the Blockbauer case, Moser was saying, is not a Holocaust-related claim, though the claimants want to portray it like this. The ownership was with Adele Blockbauer, who left a will saying that after her death, her husband, Fernandon, would leave the paintings to the Austrian gallery. I mused about what Adele might have decided had she lived. If she had stayed in Austria, she would almost certainly have been deported to a concentration camp. Had she fled, would she still want her paintings in Vienna? The Austrian ambassador was not unsympathetic. Fernandon was forced to sell his house in 1941 because he was a Jew, Ambassador Moser said. He survived the war, but everything had been taken away. They didn't rob it. He was forced to sell his home at a discount, a fire sale price, to the German railroad. The Nazis wanted to get rid of the Jews, the properties they had to leave behind or sell. The rest was confiscated. It was sheer looting and robbing. The Nazis took the paintings out of the house. They made use of the objects. They auctioned them off, whatever. What did the Nazis do with chinaware? Moser asked in exasperation, evoking an image of Gestapo thugs holding up fine boneware like cavemen trying to make sense of a microwave oven. They wanted money, money, money. He, lived, he loved his wife apparently very much, Moser said. He put the Klimt paintings in her room. The paintings, by coincidence, ended up in the Belvedere. The will said they should. The family lawyer stated after the war that the will was valid. That would have been Gustav Reinsch, fresh from Stalag 17. It's very difficult to get victims' family members to, to deal with it in a strictly rational legal manner, Moser lamented. You remember the atrocities, the brutality, the humiliation, and it's hard to see it in a strictly legal way. 
It's sometimes difficult to separate this from a pure legal approach. Moser sighed. The Jews were some of the greatest minds of Vienna, he said. Look at Freud. Gustav Mahler belonged to Adele's salon at a brilliant time when intermarriage was common between the Jewish and the Christian bourgeoisie. What we object to is the situation is portrayed as condoning the Aryanizations and the looting and the robbing of Jews in 1938. It It has nothing to do with it. At a time of intensified restitution efforts, it's cast in a bad light. It's not fair. Ambassador Roser, Ambassador Moser had a deeply pained expression. I didn't have the heart to point out that restitution efforts appeared to have intensified because Austrian reporters had discovered the outrageous cover-ups of the art thefts. Family history. To Maria, her case had everything to do with 1938. Oh, Peter Moser, Maria said over a plate of her homemade Hungarian goulash. I was a friend of his wife. We used to have dinner. Now he says all this. Tasteless, Maria said, as if the dispute was a grotesquely prolonged family feud. Even the Nazis didn't believe it was a will. She said hotly, did they wait for Fernandad to die, like Adele asked? No. Adele's wishes were a request, not an obligation, to share her love of the Klimps with her beloved Viennese. After she died, it was up to my uncle. What love could my uncle have for Austria after they robbed him of everything? He had no intention of giving the Klimps to these people. Maria looked furious. Her memories of Vienna were often seductive, idyllic, and like those of a long-ago love affair, conducted in a waltz time in rustling silk dresses against a backdrop of drop of castles and mountainous clouds. Now she spoke with the ire of betrayed love. This art was dragged out of the house by people who murdered their friends. Would Adele have wanted the things she treasured left there after that? One morning, Maria sat in her gently sunlit living room, turning the fragile pages of old leather books filled with black and white photographs. Here was one of Maria Blockbauer, a girl becoming a woman. At the opera, at the opera, smiling behind the long red velvet curtains of a private balcony. In another, the year of her debutante ball, Maria is draped in an off-the-shoulder silk organza gown with the provocative stare of a starlet. Like her mother, Maria was a bit of a flirt. I was so spoiled, Maria sighed, sighed, smiling, her eyes lingering on another photograph of herself in an ivory wedding gown, kneeling before a white marble fireplace with a gilded Corinthian ornamentation surrounded by roses. She had a photo of Fritz, a handsome man with bedroom eyes, taken when they returned from their honeymoon to the new apartment. They lived there as newlyweds for ten days before Hitler arrived. And then, Maria said, they took away my husband. The darker images emerged from the shadows of Maria's memory reluctantly, as if the events could be revoked by silence. One day, she disappeared into the kitchen, emerging with a dish of little sausage links and a saucer of mustard. So sweet, yet so telling. No one ate this kind of food in Los Angeles. Where were we? 
Maria said. I was telling you about my sister, Louise. Louise was the beauty of the family. I was just pretty. Everyone was in love with Louise. She was a baroness. Maria turned the pages of the album, stopping at a photo of a woman who looked like the leading lady of a 1940s movie. This was Louise. Alongside Louise was a delicate-looking girl, even about 11 or 12, with long braids and enormous wary eyes. That's Nellie, Maria said, Louise's daughter. She married an Austrian prince. She's a cancer expert. Maybe I should speak to her. Oh, no, don't call Nellie, Maria said in an alarmed tone, closing the album with a thump. She sighed. Things were so terrible for them, Maria said. In 1943, she lined up the family to deport them. Louise, Victor, Nellie, France. One of Louise's friends ran to tell a Gestapo chief who was always in love with her. My sister had to sleep with that horrible Nazi to save her family, Maria said. Her eyes grew distant. Grew distant. She picked up a glass paperweight of Adele's portrait and rubbed it like a talisman. So you see, she said, I haven't lived through anything. Maria and Randall didn't have endlessly deep pockets to... to uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm still... Am I still recording? Because I got a phone call here coming in. It looks like I am. Okay, let me start again. Maria and Randall didn't have endlessly deep pockets to pursue pursue a, a speculative case, they did have allies. In February 2002, Randall said the Commission for Art Recovery, which was chaired by Lauder, contributed $21,750 toward a $35,000 independent legal opinion by Rudolf Wessler, a distinguished Austrian expert on inheritance law. Wessler concluded that Fernandad was the true owner of the Klimps. Let me read that again. Wessler concluded that Fernandad was the true owner of the Klimps, making Adele's will irrelevant. We made the contribution because Mr. Schoenberg correctly understood Austrian law and the Austrian government appeared not to understand, said jo Charles Goldstein, counsel for the commission who declined to, spec who declined to specify the amount. But Randall had a family to think about. He told his wife, Pam, that if he lost a round, he would quit and go back to corporate law. To give up what would have been difficult for Randall, wait, to give up would have been difficult for Randall, He's, who said that a friend had told him that in every second generation from the Holocaust, there was a torchbearer of the family legacy. This is how Randall saw himself as the torchbearer of his generation. In 2000, he went to Washington, D.C. to be part of the negotiations for the creation of Austria's multi-million dollar general settlement fund to grant restitution towards the Jewish tort awards to Jewish Holocaust survivors and their families. One day, Randall stood and began to speak about the lost world that had shaped Freud and Mahler, the world of his grandparents, and he choked up with tears. Like Cernan, Randall was a bit of a crusader, but Pam had grown up in Ohio listening to the stories of her Ukrainian grandmother, Rose. Rose grew up in a shuttle, grew up 
in a shuttle in the cave region where Sholem Alkim Alikim set the stories on which Fiddler on the Roof is based. As a little girl, she was swept up in the pogroms. Her handsome brother, Herschel, was murdered trying to save a girl from a rapacious mob. Her parents hid jewelry and mon money in Rose's thick red hair and set off looking for a boat to America. Rose's disabled sister, Golda, was sent back from Ellis Island to die in the Holocaust. Pam saw the Klimt case as a stark symbol of the unpunished and their ill-gotten gains. Keep going, Pam told him. I didn't grow up with a lot of privileges. Don't give up. Don't give this up for us. And Randall kept winning. In December 2002, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled the, that Maria could sue in the United States courts under the exception to the Foreign Sever Sovereign Immunities Act for property stolen in violation of international law. Randall had established jurisdiction by finding English-language guidebooks at, of the Austrian gallery for sale at a, in a Los Angeles bookstore demonstrating commercial activity. The Los Angeles Times called it the first time in Holocaust reparations that a federal court's appeal has ruled that a foreign government can be held accountable in a United States court. I want those paintings to be in American and Canada, Canadian museums, Maria told the Los Angeles Times. That's my dream. This Stop, Maggie, you're just making a bunch of noise. Sorry. This ruling worried the Austrians. They had ignored Randall, but he hadn't gone away. There was only one final place to appeal the decision, the United States Supreme Court. And I think I'm going to stop there, and we'll go on from there in the next segment. My goodness. Yeah, there's a lot here still. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.